Yes, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're actually going to just read the whole chapter. Um, the word, the chapter starts with the word and. So, um, just a little reminder of the quote from the Old Testament, uh, the last ver- in the last verse of the previous chapter, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul continues. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you for reading that. 
Roger Carswell, the well-known uh, evangelist, has as his strap line on his uh, letter heading um, verse 2 that we just had read, I resolved to know nothing whilst I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I rather feel that I should take the next verse. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Uh, it's been a challenging passage to look at, and uh, I'd like us to pray as, as we begin to look at it now. Father God, I want to thank you for time spent looking into your word, and I pray now that you would help me to be able to convey what you've said to me as I'm preparing, so that we would better understand what Paul was saying as he wrote to the church in Corinth. And I pray that you'd help us all to understand what that passage means for us here today in Long Crendon. Give us a spirit of wisdom, your wisdom, as we look into your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, who's the wisest person who ever lived? A lot of people would say, oh, it was my mum or my dad or a certain close family member. Socrates, King Solomon, Bob Marley, the Dalai Lama. Certainly much has been said, much has been written by some wise and some not so wise people about wisdom. But only God can truly give us wisdom. That's to say, he gives us wisdom so that we know him personally, through the cross. Wisdom so that we know him eternally. And that wisdom is given to us through the Holy Spirit. So that's where my thoughts are going this evening. Starting with true wisdom being cross-centred. Remember that in this part of the letter, Paul is writing to encourage unity within the church. He's writing in response to the report that he had received from Chloe's household. And he mentioned that in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He'd been told that factions within the church at Corinth were claiming elite spiritual wisdom. How very contemporary. Think of almost any claim of spiritual elitism, second blessing, any deeper spiritual experience. And all too often, this is one of the passages that is used to support that claim. But actually, to use this passage in that way twists and distorts what Paul was saying. It applies meaning that Paul never intended. So, in verse 6, Paul is addressing those claims of spiritual elitism when he says, we speak God's wisdom. The we is not a spiritual elect or a select few. When Paul says, we speak, 
He's referring to all of us. All of us who tell others about God's perspective, God's wisdom. That might be us speaking to our friends at school or college. It might be us speaking to our neighbour over the garden fence, a colleague at work, or in a more formal setting like this. We all speak God's wisdom. And what do we speak? We speak a message of wisdom. That is to say, we speak the message of the cross. In verse 2, Paul said, we speak of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Last week, Wellesley said, this is God's wisdom. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yes, for that, we can expect to be considered foolish. But that doesn't mean we should change the message or forget the message, or look for some other message that we think will be more likely to impress people. God's foolish message, Paul's foolish message, our foolish message, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And to whom do we speak? We speak to the mature The mature? Who are the mature? Well, they're the believers in Corinth, the believers in Long Crendon. Anyone, in fact, who calls themselves Christians. Christians because they've recognized and accepted God's wisdom in the cross. There's no spiritual elitism here. And Paul doesn't subdivide the believers at Corinth into those who are mature and those who aren't. He leaves it to the factions within the church who are claiming spiritual elitism to decide for themselves if they're mature. And he leaves it to us, for each of us to decide if we're mature. And he goes on to say we're only mature if we have the right perspective of the cross. When we hear messages that claim to be spiritual, we need to assess them carefully. If this message points me to Jesus Christ and him crucified, if this message encourages me to grow in knowledge of him and in obedience to him, then yes, it's probably of Christ. It's probably of God. So, as we listen to what others say, does it point us to the cross? Does it point us to Christ? Is the cross what unites us to our Christian brothers and sisters? Is the cross what keeps us together when there are disagreements or conflicts. If it is, then we are mature. When there are difficulties in the home, are the issues reconciled at the cross? If they are, then we are mature. 
Is it because of the cross that we're able to get along with that difficult colleague at, at work or at school? Then Paul is saying we're mature. There's no spiritual elite. Paul's expectation is that all Christians, all those who are saved by the sacrifice of the cross, will live sacrificial lives ourselves. As Jesus became the servant king who sacrificed his life for us, so we too will sacrifice our rights, our privileges, and serve those around us. And that's a very different spiritual maturity to the so-called spiritual maturity often seen in those who believe themselves to be the spiritual elite. Very often there's very little difference between their wisdom and what Paul calls the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. True wisdom is eternal, Paul says. We declare God's wisdom, a wisdom, sorry, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So in eternity past, God in three persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, agreed the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross was the means by which we would be saved. What wisdom, says the Christian. What foolish wisdom, says the world. It's thought that verse 9 is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. You probably have, have that as a footnote in your Bible. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Paul applies this lack of perception, this lack of wisdom to those who crucified Christ. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Since ancient times, the Jews had waited on him. They looked for their Messiah, the one who would reconcile them, the children of Israel, to God. And for a time, Jesus laid aside his majesty, as the song has it. He walked and talked among the Jewish people. He ministered to them. And he gave himself up to the cross for them. But even as they crucified him, they didn't recognize him. And they don't recognize him still. Not just those of Jesus' day, but also those who Paul calls the rulers of this age. Those who, by their unbelief, crucify him today 
still don't understand God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. Do you notice how Paul describes Jesus as the Lord of glory in verse 8? Well, that must tie in with our glory in verse 7. So in eternity present, we experience our glory through being joined to Christ in his death on the cross for us. And in eternity future, we shall be perfectly joined to Christ, just as God destined for our glory. Neil was speaking about this this morning. We're given some glorious insights into what this will look like in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 talks about us joining together with innumerable angels, other unidentified living creatures, and the elders all joining together in the worship of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. What a glorious future. But that's future. This is now. So how are we to discern God's future today? God's, sorry, how are we to discern God's wisdom today? Well, true wisdom, God's wisdom, is given by God, the Holy Spirit. In these verses, we see God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to make us wise. All of us who have embraced God's wisdom, Jesus Christ and him crucified, At the moment we become Christians, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, Paul says that God both reveals these things to us by his Spirit and is revealed by the Spirit as the Spirit searches the deep things of God. And in verse 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. So we have the Trinity God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, working together to make us wise. And in verses 13 and 14, Paul explains how this happens. He distinguishes between the general revelation of God through the Holy Spirit in Scripture 
and the individual personal revelation of God through the Holy Spirit. When Peter was writing to churches that were being misled by wrong teaching, he sought to encourage them by reminding them that God revealed himself through the Holy Spirit in Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21, he said, Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Peter and Paul were encouraging the early church, we too can be encouraged that the Bible is God's word. Yes, it was men who wrote God's words down, but they did so as God, the Holy Spirit, revealed the words to them. So we can read our Bibles today confident that it's not a human book, but it's God's book. In verse 13, Paul says, We speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. In this context, when Paul says, we speak or he is speaking, he's meaning that as he's writing the words down, he is speaking what the Spirit is saying to him to speak. But despite that, it's quite possible for someone who's not yet a Christian to read God's Word, the Bible, and to be unmoved by what they read. Well, Paul goes on to explain, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. We who are Christians wonder, how is it, is, how is it possible for someone who is not yet a Christian to read the Bible and, and remain unmoved by what they're reading? Paul says it's because these things are discerned only through the Spirit. So the truly spiritual person is not someone who has received some extra revelation from God. It's the Christian who, through the Holy Spirit, God has enabled to understand and accept his wisdom in his word as we have it today in the Bible. As Paul says in verse 12, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. We have God's wisdom in the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is applied to our hearts and minds by God the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is not 
to impart some new message or some new miracle to a spiritual elite. The work of the Holy Spirit is seen when ordinary people have their spiritual eyes opened and their hearts are stirred by a greater love for God and a greater desire to trust him and obey him. Sometimes that happens for the first time. As long as we depend on these things, we are the spiritual elite. All Christians are. So I guess the question is, how dependent are we? How dependent am I on the Holy Spirit? When we read the Bible, do we depend on the Holy Spirit to show us the deep things of God? When we pray, do we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ so that we might pray more effectively and in accordance with God's will? And in our daily lives, do we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us God's wisdom in our relationships at church, at college, at home, at work? Is it our prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me with your wisdom so I can be who you want me to be? I pray it would be so.